Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. I do not write these things to you, write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though they were not, as though I were not coming to you. But I'll come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love, in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray you'd speak to us through it today. Be with Mark, Lord. I pray you would bless his study. Speak through him to our hearts, Lord. I pray you grant us open hearts, Lord, and discerning minds, and that everything done here today would be for your glory in your name. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year. So, <clears throat> we're getting back into, hold up, let me get to the right spot here. We get back into 1 Corinthians. We took one week off for Christmas, dove into Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, we have the privilege, and it is a privilege for us to be able to gather together as His people, to hear the gospel, to hear the words of God, to hear the Bible to study it together, to try to grasp what is he trying to teach the Corinthians, and then what does that mean for us today, 2,000 years later. Um, so I, I, my hope is that as we start this new year, that, that this would be um, a good reminder that it is a privilege, not a right, it's a privilege for us as God's people to know what God says. He has given us his word. And I know in my own life, all too often, um, uh, I was listening to a podcast this week where they were talking about how as Christians, so easily we get, we read the Bible, we should every morning or every day, we should be getting into it on a regular basis. And at times it could just seem like, well, I want the discipline, even though I don't feel like reading today. And we read God's word in a way as kind of like, ah, that's, that's nice. I check my box and I'm done. And again, there is a part to being disciplined when you don't want to read it to actually read it. But to be reminded, and it was a good reminder for me this past week, to be reminded, this is God's word to us, freely given to us. If we want to know what God's will is, it's right here. And we have a we have a, a chance and a privilege and an honor to read the words of God and to study the words of God. So my hope is that that weight and that burden and that, and it's all good, it's a good weight, it's a good burden, is sitting on us as we hear these words today. Because as I, I told the worship team before the service, enjoy today. It's probably the gentlest Paul is going to be in 1 Corinthians, just warning you. Because he's going to be dealing with some really hard things in the coming chapters, some very pointed that deal with sexual immorality, some that well, it deals with divorce, it deals, uh, deals with marriage, it deals with singleness. There's, um, 
incest. Let's, I mean, it's, there's heavy, heavy things, and he is not gentle with it. But it's still the word of God, and it's still good. And so even though it may not like, apply to us de- directly, this is God trying to teach his church in Corinth. And as we see and we read it, for us to be able to go, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not dealing with sexual immorality in my own life or as a church. It's a direct issue with us within the church. But what is God trying to tell us? What is he speaking to us about? How is he calling me? Whether you're an adult or a kid, these words are meant for us as believers. And it's a joy for us to be able to sit underneath that teaching and to hear it and to go, God is good. And especially today, that maybe, maybe through these words, God is, is calling me to change something. I'm going to get into it, not moralism, okay? Not like you have to do this or God's not going to be happy. He loves us and he desires for us to obey him because that is actually what's the best for us. And the lie of our hearts and the lie of the world and the lie of this enemy is this is not what's best for us. So let's gather every Sunday. We sit underneath the word to be reminded this is good. This is good and God strengthens us one degree of glory from another to change and to grow, which is where we're going to get into. This is about sanctification, growing in our relationship with Christ. So in, in this book, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, he's used gentle words. He's used hyperbole. Last week we saw he used sarcasm, and he's using it all to teach the Corinthians, yes, you are true believers. You are truly a part of the family of God, but you are a dysfunctional family. And if any of us has family, there's always a little bit of dysfunction in our family, right? And some of you are looking at each other like, oh, yeah, wives looking at your husbands, you know, no, it's probably your family. Just want to let you know. The church is the same way. It's a loving, caring family, but sometimes it's pretty dysfunctional. And the Corinthian church was really dysfunctional. They were divided over style rather than the substance of the teaching that they were receiving. And Paul didn't come to them, he says, with elegant words or phrases um, to tickle their ears, to sound good to them, to, to lift up their hearts by just speaking words, but he came speaking and living out the truths of the cross of Christ. I knew nothing amongst you, among you except the cross of Christ. And because it's in the power of Christ's shed blood on the cross that we are saved from the wrath of God for our sinful rebellion against him. That there's no works of our own and no eloquent, eloquent speech that can make such a change in the heart of a person. Paul and Apollos and Cephas, they're but servants of God. They are stewards of his gospel message, and so they serve an audience of one. The goal is not to become popular or rich or influential in the world, but to rightly teach the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ, living for God, not for the world, not for the Corinthians but for his glory. And Paul doesn't, he hasn't minced words in these previous three and a half chapters. And he realizes that the beginning of this letter may be coming off as a bit direct, because it is. (laughs) He is not 
a candy coater. He doesn't try to work around the bush to make things easier. He gets directly to the point, and yet, unlike myself and probably many of us, he does it out of love, and he does it with a loving heart. And so the first four verses of our passage this morning are softer and gentler. He's speaking as a loving father to his wayward children. He says in verse 14, do, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children, my beloved children. These things, what he says, I did not write these things. That's the previous three and a half chapters. Paul understands that his words may be difficult for the Corinthians to hear. And so he wants them to understand his purpose in writing. He doesn't mean to ridicule or disgrace or embarrass them. He wants to instruct them and to warn them. The path of division that the Corinthians have chosen leads to the destruction and the contamination of the purity of the church. Now, purity, when I say that, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, purity does not, when I say purity of the church, it doesn't mean perfect or sinless, because no church is qualified if that's the, if that's the standard. Purity means faithfulness to the will and the desires and the commands of Christ. A faithful church, even with all of its warts, is a pure church. A church, the church in Corinth was straying from purity and was contaminating itself with false teaching, sexual immorality, and divisions. Paul's warnings to them come from, they come from a heart of a loving father who desires his children to get back on the right track, track to make better decisions, to be more faithful to the God that saved them. The Corinthians, he says, you have countless guides that that means, or instructors. It literally means 10,000. And he's using, again, hyperbole. You've got a lot of people who've been teaching you. But Paul has a special privileged, a privileged position in their lives. They've had many teachers, but they only have one spiritual father. That Paul was the first one to reveal the truth of the gospel to them to explain to them the truths of God. And so he considers himself their father. Don't hear like he's putting himself as God, big F. It's a little F. He is their spiritual father, father, and like obedient children, he tells them, you would be wise to imitate the life of your father. I urge you then, he says in verse 16, or I urge you therefore, and that word therefore, or that word then, should catch our eyes because it indicates then that Paul is about to give an instruction that only their father can give. He, he says, I am your spiritual father. Therefore, because I'm your father, listen to what I have to say. He says, be imitators of me. Now, I can say as a father, that's, that's one heck of a statement. I'm reminded many times, and I remind my children sometimes, don't imitate me in that. <laughs> Because I know my own heart. But for him to say, be imitators of me, what are they to imitate about Paul? He says, my ways in Christ. The path and the road that his life was being, le- uh, was being lived in Christ. A life which he 
has lived and taught in every church that he has planted or visited. In his letter to the Philippian church, he writes this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. In Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Or in later on in 1 Corinthians, he gets a little bit more direct and he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So this is nothing new to Paul. And again, it's not arrogance because Paul's life consistently imitated the faithful life of Christ and the Corinthians were to follow that example. Like a loving and caring father, Paul's words are meant to induce a change in their behavior to be more faithful to God, to live a life more consistent with their belief and trust in Christ as their Savior, their treasurer, and their Lord. Their Savior in that their sins are not held against them. Their treasure in that He truly is the most important thing to them. And their Lord as He is the King of their life. He's the one who rules and reigns. And so they are servants of God. Again, this is not moralism. Where if the Corinthians would just live faithfully to God, then they, they would be saved by God. You cannot be faithful to God until you are saved by God. You could be a good person. You could do wonderful things but you cannot please God to the point where now you are saved or you've earned your salvation. That's moralism. God has already saved the Corinthians. He says way back in chapter 1, verse 2, he calls them saints, people of God. So he knows they are believers. And it's only after one becomes a believer that we become more and more faithful to the will and to the desires of God. This is how Paul has striven his life, uh, to live his life since his conversion on the road to uh, to Damascus. And this is what he has taught in every single church. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not saying, oh, I am perfect and I've made it. There there are times in, in Paul's letters where that imperfection starts to come out and you, he, he starts to kind of lose it a little bit. He loses that self-control. He's not perfect, but he is striving to be faithful and he's saying, be faithful as I am faithful. But there are some in Corinth who think a bit differently. It seems that there are some who are puffed up and arrogant, believing that Paul is never going to come back to Corinth Sure, Paul has some strong words in a letter, but face to face, he becomes weak. I, I don't know why, it brought me to social media today. You can put it on social media all you want, but as soon as you get face to face, people tend to crumble. You know, I'm not going to say that to your face, but I'll do it on a screen. But Paul says, I will come if the Lord wills. And then he He's going to find out not just the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Now, this is where it starts to shift. Because power here is the ability to act or produce an effect. See, there's a massive difference between the power of these arrogant men and the power of the kingdom of God. Not the power of Paul. The power of the kingdom of God. These prideful men, they can talk, but can they produce? 
talk here hints back to Paul's, hints back to Paul's words in chapter 2 where he says, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom or plausible talk, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The words that Paul and even the arrogant men speak may be eloquent and smooth, easy to hear, and perhaps even entertaining. But words do not create the effect in the hearts of men that God desires. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ, does not consist in talk. It is not seen or experienced in wonderful talking points. The reign of Christ comes in power by demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And that's from chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians The reign of Christ comes in power by demonstration of the Holy Spirit. The question begs to be answered then, what effect does the reign of Christ have on the one who believes? Is it it is true that one major effect is redemption and salvation from the eternal wrath of God? We've established that. You are saved from God's wrath for our sins. But the context here seems to point to another, uh, in another direction. Because remember, Paul considers the Corinthians true believers who trust in Christ. So this is not about redemption and salvation. He's not doubting that they are children of God. The context points more towards the church's sanctification. They're becoming more and more faithful to God, being made more and more into the character of God. And so when Paul arrives, he's going to test the power of the talk of these arrogant men, putting their words to the flame of the gospel message and the truths of God to see what gets burned up and what survives. Are their words sanctifying and edifying the church? Is the Holy Spirit working through them to purify and make the church more holy? Because that's what the power of God accomplishes. Verse 21 is a setup for the coming chapters when Paul addresses specific issues within the church. And it's not an encouragement. (laughs) He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Just as any loving father parents his children through discipline, So Paul is going to discipline the Corinthians. Now, there have been moments when I have caught my children lying in order to avoid disciplinary action from us as parents. Pastors' kids lie too. I am one from experience. I know it's shocking to you. No, it's not. I have reminded them many times that they have a choice the next time that... I don't want to say this is 100% true, but like 95% of the time, you're going to get caught. Just ask any politician. Eventually, it comes out. You're going to get caught. And so you have a choice to make. You can either tell us when something happens and suffer the consequences, or you can hide it. We find out 
and you suffer even greater consequences. And this is Paul's meaning. His plan is to come to them and to discipline them, to correct their disobedient and unfaithful behavior. But they have a choice. Is he going to come with a rod? A rod is a a tool used by Paul here, um, uh, used by, sorry, is used by shepherds to keep their sheep on the right path. This is the, 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 the famous, you know, uh, um, my brain just suddenly, the shepherds, hold on a second, it's coming. <laughs> thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Okay, I went to old King James Version because that's what I grew up doing it, okay, uh, memorizing it. That rod of, of Christ is a gentle rod, and it, it's still a rod to, to guide the sheep, and you just give a little tap, okay? That's not what Paul means here. <laughs> is he going to come with a rod, meaning very severely? This isn't going to be a tap. This is going to be a pretty big smack that's going to leave a, a welt. Or am I going to come, he says, with love? in a spirit of gentleness. They will still face Paul's disciplinary actions, but they get to choose how it goes. Just as every child, I could tell the truth and be disciplined, or I could lie, get caught, and then it's going to be even worse for me. That's, it's, it's along those same lines. Now, that don't, don't hear like if he's coming with a rod that he's not loving them. No, he is loving them. He is their father. And again, this is to set up the coming chapters where Paul addresses some major dysfunctions within the church. And as their father, Paul loves them greatly and he desires only the best for their spiritual lives. How things move forward, though, is up to them. How will I come? With a rod or with gentleness? You're still going to be disciplined. Because you are wrong in these areas and they need to be corrected. But how will I come? Now, there are a couple of implications in, this, in these verses for us, who we who are the church today. At first, I feel like it's safe to say that it would be beneficial for us to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. I think that's a very safe thing to say. Paul's life was a great example of faithfulness to God Enduring through sufferings and persecutions, striving to maintain the purity of the church, and so many more things. The reign of Christ in his life was evident by his life. His willingness to sacrifice himself to imprisonment and death so that the gospel of Christ would be spread throughout the world is an example to us today who all too often shy away from anything that makes us uncomfortable let alone puts us in harm's way. And so, imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. Second, the kingdom of Christ, that is his rule and reign in this world and in the hearts of men, comes in power, in changed hearts and changed lives. Christ's reign is not stagnant, he is a king who is active and life-altering. Do we, do we see his reign evident in us as his people, as a church? Not in the number of attenders or the size of our bank account, but in the number of lives changed, the degrees of faithfulness 
uh, the degrees of faithfulness in our ministries as a church and in our individual lives? Are we more faithful today than we were yesterday or last week or a year ago? How is God moving in us and changing us as His church? How is Christ's reign evident in us as His people? All too often we can forget that it is the power of Christ through the hearing and the living out of the gospel message that changes our lives. Paul says, Paul says, I believe it's in Romans when he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. And so those are words, right? Like, well, well then what are just words? What do they do? Well, in and of themselves, those are just words. They're nothing. But it's God through through those words, his power comes. Hearing the gospel message. You cannot be saved on your own. You must believe in Christ. There is power, not because of the way I said it, but because the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of the hearts, uses them to, to change. The power of God changes lives and changes hearts through the gospel message. All too often we get caught up in the success of ministries, whatever, whatever that means. What is a successful ministry? Was Jesus successful? Was Paul successful? We get caught up in the eloquent speeches of teachers, focusing on the messenger rather than the message. Christ is not an idle king sitting on his throne, drinking wine, waiting for something to happen to his people. He is moving in power through his people who speak, live, and teach his gospel message. He's powerfully changing each of us who believe and trust in him as his savior. He is the king who reigns, consists of power. The kingdom of God consists of power, not talk. So do we see him reigning? Because his reign has an end. He's on his throne. He is moving. He is changing lives. He's even changing your life and mine if you are his child. Do you see him reigning? Do you see the evidence of his power in you? Open your eyes and get ready to hear Paul's hard teachings to the Corinthians in the coming chapters because Though we may not be dealing with the same sins, the truth for the Corinthian church is the same for us today. The power of Christ's reign changes hearts and lives, even if slowly, one degree of glory at a time. If our faith is stagnant, if our life and faithfulness to Christ is stagnant, that's a problem. It doesn't mean we're not a believer. But it means that we're missing something. We're forgetting. Now, Christ is constantly changing us. He's molding us to be more faithful to Him. Some of us in a year may go from an unbeliever to whew, suddenly seeming like a, a very mature believer. There's a huge amount of growth. And some of us the degree of change is small. Maybe one or two degrees and that's it. 
but it's a change. It's a growth. And that's not on us. That growth comes from the power of Christ in us. His reign comes in power and changes people. I want to end this morning. I want to read three passages. One from Peter, two from Paul, that speak to this. And I want this to be an encouragement to us. Are you struggling in your daily reading? You're just checking it off. Remember what this is. You read, you hear, you study, you know, and through that God's power, the power of the kingdom comes and changes us and grows us. And if you're doing great, if you're seeing Christ move, don't stray from that path. Just keep moving forward in faithfulness. And God will honor that and He will change us. But on the other hand, if you hate the Word of God, you hate the truths of God, or you read it and you want to change it, and you do change it, then you are in danger of not being a believer. If you are seeing absolutely no power whatsoever, no change in your life that you said a prayer, you thought a thought, and you thought, man, I'm good, I've made it to heaven, and yet you continue to live as the world lives, and there's no change, there's no conviction, then you are in great danger of being lied to, that you are not a child of God, and you will not be in heaven for him, with Him forever. You will be in hell, in eternal torment. But for the believer in Christ, even if it's sometimes in life it feels like one step forward and two steps back in your faithfulness, right? Anybody else? That's how I am. And it's just this slow, agonizing process. It's frustrating, yes, but you're moving forward and God is good and He honors that. So hear these words to know what God has done in your life as His child. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he's Peter speaking to the church, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Colossians chapter 3, verses nine, uh, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Again, he's speaking to believers. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's sanctification, that last part, if you didn't catch it. The image 
of God, the image of Christ is being renewed in knowledge day by day by day in the lives of his people. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles of the flesh, non-Jews, I would feel comfortable saying that's all of us to hear, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. In other words, you remember, you, you people who were not a part of the Jewish nation, you who did not receive the promises that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac, remember that you were at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel or their blessings of the presence of God. And they were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, we were all lost. We were all destined for hell. But now, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near, brought near to the presence of God, brought near to Him. There's no curtain. There's no wall now dividing, dividing us from God. We have direct access to the throne through Jesus Christ because we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He has changed us. He has made us new. He is growing us and sanctifying us to be more and more faithful, to be more and more pure. So I think for us, before in the coming weeks we get into the real nitty-gritty and the very straightforward issues that Paul is going to be dealing with, well, let's just say not issues, straightforward sin. It's just plain sin. That we as God's people can stand back and we can say, thanks be to God for the power of Christ in our lives. Not in an arrogant way as if, I'm so glad I'm not like that person. But without the power of Christ in my life, there go I. I would be lost. I would have no change in my life. I would have no faithfulness to God. Thank you, Christ, for your blood. Thank you that you work in power, that you are not a stagnant king. Thank you for bringing me near to you, Lord, through your Son. And you did it for your glory, you did it for our joy, and you did it to save us. So as we wrestle with sin, as we fight sin, as we put away sin in our lives, let's hold fast to the truth that Christ is working in us. Thanks be to his grace, and so maybe we should show a little grace to others too. Father, I pray for us this morning as a church that you would would convict us of sin, but you would also remind us, Father, that we are yours and that you are a God who works in power. You are not just a God who speaks and nothing happens. God, you you spoke and and the universe came to be. You gave us your gospel. And through it, you have worked and you have changed our hearts. You have changed our lives. 
Father, help us as your people to continue down that path, to not get discouraged, but to trust in you, to continue to, through your power, work in us. And Father, I pray, I pray that you would use us as your people to speak the truths of the gospel message, to speak of faithfulness to you, to others, to expose the world around us, our family and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our fellow students, God, to expose them to the gospel, knowing that you are faithful and you will work in the hearts of some. Not because we are eloquent of speech, not because we are making great points, but because you work in power through your gospel. Help us to see that. Open our eyes, God, to see your powerful movement in and around us so that we might give you the glory. Point others away from us and point them to you. We ask this in your, in your name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing our final song together?